0: Hello, and welcome to the Evolve and Elevate podcast. I'm Jacob Fry, your show host and humble servant. I have an unwavering belief that no matter where you are, who you are, what you have, or what the story of your past may hold, you have the ability and inner strength to design and realize your best self tomorrow, if only you will put in the effort today. Hello, and welcome back to the e podcast, having another fruitful week here in Arizona. Yesterday, I made the executive decision to jump from a perfectly good airplane for the first time. And it really is just like Will Smith portrays it in the piece on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, search, you guessed it, Will Smith skydiving, pretty straightforward. But he says that within one second of being pushed out the airplane door at the point of maximum danger is the point of minimum fear. And that definitely resonates for me. The ascent up, the door opening, watching others start to jump out. The fear continues to build up until you cross that danger threshold and it immediately washes away. It is a powerful moment, and I would challenge myself and any listeners to find reward, or bliss even, in all situations on the other side of fear. Going to hit the ground running on reading the book here quickly. Uh, after this episode is published, I'm excited to run my very first Spartan obstacle course race. And I've also got some schoolwork begging to not be procrastinated on that needs some effort. So, without further ado, chapter titled Everyone is Going to Prison. We found out through a call with Mom that Grandpa had been arrested for selling his pain medication. He was selling painkillers and was doing so with an unregistered pistol. What in the world was wrong with my family, I thought? Grandpa was the last one I ever expected to go to prison. Was there more to him than I ever realized? Who was the man selling narcotics while equipped with an illegally owned firearm? During this same time, Mom had been in and out of psych wards, in and out of jail. This time she found herself with a longer sentence due to still being caught up in drugs. With our family incarcerated, our summer visits to Quincy, Illinois ceased for a time. We weren't able to see anyone for a while, and while that wasn't necessarily a tragedy, it did lead to hectic summer visits when we did. Summer visits were something I had always looked forward to. I learned early in life, both from my personal experience and others, that incarceration not only impacts ourselves, but it also impacts others within our lives. Avoided at all costs, not only for self, but for family. Summers and the Walk of Shame During these years, the visitation had flipped. We would spend the majority of the year with dad and visit mom in the summertime. These visits were always exciting for us, getting to see family we had not seen all year and escape from the dictatorship of our stepmother. Mom's situation never really changed through the years. Living on disability, she would jump from apartment to apartment, from man to man, struggling with drug, alcohol, and mental hurdles. Nonetheless, we were always happy to spend time in Quincy for the summer. Growing up in Quincy, I had an older cousin that I always looked up to. We had similar stories, single mothers trying to raise a child in a tough environment. Cousin was always doing something I thought was, quote, cool, unquote, and I would try to tag along any time I could. I often spent a large portion of my time in Quincy at his house. We would do things that many children do but would never admit to. Things such as late night, quote, ding-dong ditching, unquote, or, quote, tee-peeing, unquote, a front yard. One summer, cousin decided to take it to a new level. Suggesting a super soaker fight be held in the front yard, we grabbed a couple of water guns to go. Disappearing for a few minutes, he returned with his gun full and a strange grin on his face. His apartment was on the second floor of the building. Heading downstairs, we headed outside. As soon as I got down the stairs on the front porch, he jumped the gun and started spraying me. I wasn't surprised. That type of thing was typical. It wasn't until the spray hit my face and I inhaled that I was surprised. Urine. He had filled the huge super soaker with his own urine and was drenching me in it. I immediately began gagging and dry heaving, throwing my gun at him and running across the street. Mom lived about five miles away at the time, and I traveled across town by foot, soaked in urine. I was partially sobbing as to why this would happen, partially gagging with each whiff of urine that caught my nose. That same summer, he shot me in the face intentionally with a BB gun, chipping my tooth. I didn't go back to my cousins for some time and never really looked at him the same after that. This was devastating because, for the longest time, I thought he was my best friend. Silver Linings. It isn't until you have a few, quote, bad, unquote, friends that you know what a, quote, good, unquote, friend consists of. Good friends listen, they care, and your relationship is supportive, not hostile or competitive. Firecrackers and Silly String. Living in Illinois, it had never been a firework-friendly state. Quincy, however, was smack dab right on the Illinois-Missouri border. Crossing a bridge over the river, we could be in Missouri within a couple of minutes. It was normal for people in Quincy to travel across the bridge to buy gas, cigarettes, and of course, fireworks. The first few miles on the other side of the bridge were packed with gas stations, tobacco shops, and firework stands in the summertime. The craziest thing was is that there were no cities or towns nearby, and the majority of the customers were traveling from Quincy. Talk about smart business. One summer, Mom took us across the bridge to buy fireworks. There was a back road nearby on a desolate farmland that people would drive to and set off fireworks. We grabbed firecrackers, Roman candles, bottle rockets, and whatever we could get out of the quote, buy one, get one, unquote, tubs until we hit our budget. Making it to the firework road, Mom helped us organize the explosive materials. Splitting up the fireworks, she let a punk, a punk is a term for quote, smoldering stick, Unquote, for both my brother and I. We began playing with fountains, firecrackers, and the like. We were having a blast until a group of teenagers decided to intervene. The teens were tossing firecrackers out from inside a jeep. One of the kids threw one right at my brother and it exploded near his hand. He started crying as they sped off laughing. Mom looked at his hand and screamed at us to get into the van. She was having none of it. She only saw her children a handful of weeks a year, and these kids had just ruined her image of a good time. In the van she had borrowed from Grandpa, she sped after the teenagers. She caught up to them on the bridge heading back into Quincy. Speeding every bit of 60 miles per hour, she drove door to door to the Jeep. She was screaming at them and cursing their existence. They were visibly scared and shocked at something that had actually come out of their cruel joke. They tried to slow down, but Mom continued to match their speed. She had bought a can of silly string from the fireworks tent. Opening the can, she sprayed the passenger kid with it. They were calling her a psycho as they finally cleared the bridge and turned down another road. Mom continued to curse the teenagers and that they had hurt her kid. My brother was in the back seat, more traumatized by the car chase across the bridge than the small burn on his hand. Oddly enough, that wasn't the only time that summer I would find myself speeding across the state-line bridge. Silver Linings Throughout my life, I have seen several instances where, quote, karma, unquote, seems to catch up with individuals. In this situation, karma was instant and fierce. If you want good things to come from the universe, be a good person and give to others. Don't throw firecrackers at children. Chapter titled, Cosmo. Mom introduced me to her latest and greatest mate. Cosmo was an interesting gentleman. Gentleman may not be the right word. The first time we met, I recall thinking to myself that he didn't seem like Mom's type. He weighed every bit of 100 pounds, soaking wet, was tall and lanky enough to appear sickly. He was a heavy drinker and abused the same things Mom abused. Maybe the abuse was the connection. They dated and remained together for quite some time. During a visit, he was staying with Mom in her small one-bedroom apartment. With my brother at Grandpa's, they had stayed up drinking. When Mom was drinking, she would smoke cigarettes at a rate that seemed inhuman. She needed cigarettes, and as a result, Cosmo and I were tasked with a trip to West Quincy. West Quincy is what Quincy's local called the area across the state line bridge. I was bored watching basic late night cable, and there's never anything remotely interesting on basic cable late at night, so we made the trip to get cigarettes. Regrettably, Cosmo had had a little too much to drink that night and was not in a good state of mind. I'm convinced that he also battled mental issues because he had a strange habit of talking to himself. As we crossed into West Quincy, he was having a full-fledged mumble argument with himself. It was certainly a sight to see. Achieving our mission, we began the trek back across the bridge, but way, 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 way too fast. In a minivan, Cosmo's lead foot pushed the van to 90 miles per hour. After a decent acceleration period, minivans don't accelerate like Lamborghinis. And I found myself experiencing a miniature heart attack. He was laughing like a maniac the entire time. I was certain that at any moment, he would take a sharp pull on the steering wheel and send us catapulting into the river. As my cruel visions calmed, the vehicle slowed as we crossed back into Quincy. Getting out of the van, I ran inside, and naturally told my mother what had happened, and cowered. Mom was livid, and at 2 a.m., she was screaming and slugging on Cosmo. They were rolling around on the floor fighting. He slugged her in the face. I ran at him, pushing him off. I told him I would call the cops. He walked out, jumped into the van, and left. Mom told me I wasn't calling anyone and that it was my fault he left. In her words, Cosmo wasn't fit enough to hurt anyone, and she had had the situation under control. During their on-and-off relationship, they would get into another bout, and she would stab him with an 8-inch kitchen knife. No charges were filed, and I am always assumed because it was true love. Now there are images scattered throughout this book that you're not getting able to see. Uh, we've probably passed over at least a dozen by this point, but in this chapter there is a small newspaper clipping of when the incident happened, when my mother stabbed this gentleman, and it reads: "Police confiscated a seven and one half inch kitchen knife for possible evidence in the case. Arrested was Fry, thirty-two, on a charge of aggravated domestic battery. She was lodged in Adams County Jail." and the passage was titled, Quincy Woman Arrested After Stabbing. Silver Linings. At all costs, avoid getting into a vehicle with someone if they have been drinking. Do your best to prevent them from driving for any reason. Do not assume your mother cannot handle herself. Chapter titled, Mercy or Merciless? Growing up at Dad's, we were in a relatively rural area, and there weren't many people to spend time with or things to do. Down the road, we had a neighbor that we had become buddies with, SB, stepbrother, and I would do all sorts of things with Buddy. Jump on a trampoline, talk about girls, walk around the cornfield, and do other things that rural kids do. We had a pretty good rapport and would spend time at each other's houses. Our parents were on short conversations and waving status. Buddy was honestly more SB's friend than mine, but I always tried to spend time with others whenever I could. One evening, Buddy came over to get us, saying his mom needed help with the problem. As we were walking over, he explains that his dog had puppies. But there was something wrong with the puppies. Upon arriving, his mother is half hysterical, saying the litter is deformed and that they need to be put down. Looking into the box of the litter of puppies was horrific. The poor puppies were squirming, half-developed, some were missing full limbs, and others you could see their bones in some areas not covered by their skin. But he took the pups aside saying that we needed to end their misery. He tells us to dig a hole for their burial site as he looked around for something to help him with this terrible task to end their torment. He was unable to find anything and with a little thought asked for the shovel in the corner of his garage. He tossed the poor mingled pups into a garbage bag and then hard against the cement floor. I had walked away, unable to stomach the entire scenario. I could hear him contacting the shovel over and over again with the cement floor. The clanging finally stopped, and he picked up the bag, placing it into the burrow hole in the ground. Tossing some dirt over them, he walked away as though nothing had happened. Silver Linings Life can be very unfair at times. What should have been a litter of beautiful little puppies reveal itself as pure suffering for the poor animals. Do not underestimate anyone. I wouldn't have thought Buddy capable of crushing a soul, but in his mind, he was saving them from torture. Good people can do terrible things when they are convinced it is for the greater good. When you are faced with the decision to end suffering or permit a painful, unnecessary existence, how does this one make that decision? You have to develop your own internal moral compass and follow it at all times. Chapter titled, Grandma Passes. Shortly after juggling the moral weight of the puppy incident, I got a call from mom. It was a call from the prison. She was sobbing telling me that Grandma had passed. She had a tumor, and it was inoperable. Grandma was Mom's only consistent variable throughout her life. She was her grounding point through many of her life's struggles. She explained that she couldn't go to the funeral because of being incarcerated and begged that my brother and I attend. We'd been somewhat close with Grandma during our years living with Mom. Grandma always helped Mom clean up her messes. She would help with money and shelter when Mom had no one else. I told her we would try. Dad was an inner of the conversation and asked to talk to Mom. He asked who to call to get the information for the service and told her we would make sure we made it there. He was always trying to do right by family. The funeral was not that far out, and before we knew it, we were making the trip to Quincy for the wake. Grandma had an open casket reception. It was the first funeral I had ever attended, and it would be the last I attended for a decade. Walking into the funeral home, I recognized some family in the building. There was a short line of people waiting to see Grandma and pay their respects. As brother and I moved closer to the casket, I didn't know what to think. I had never seen a lifeless body, and I had many emotions cropping up as memories with Grandma flooded my mind. Our turn to pay respect, an older woman walked up to my brother and I. She introduced herself as a friend of Grandma's. She seemed pleasant, but there was something about her that felt off. She offered to walk us to see Grandma, and we made it to the casket. There was our grandmother, coated in makeup, looking as if she had lost a 100 pounds since I had last seen her. The woman grabbed my hand without warning and put it on my grandma's. She held it there with force. I was confused and frightened, not to mention horrified that I was touching a soulless body. Staring into my eyes, she told me that we all feel like that some day, that we all die and will be paraded for others to look at and judge. I began tearing up, and a cousin of ours walked up to check on us. The lady let go, walked out of the funeral home. I never saw her again, nor learned her name. Silver Linings Death is something we must accept as a fact of life. This doesn't need to be a negative fact. Rather, it should be used as a reason to relish and enjoy each moment of life. Follow-up from the passages. Incarceration impacts ourselves at the individual level, definitely the suffering we go through behind bars, but it also deeply impacts our loved ones. It was anything but ideal to bring my daughter to a prison to visit her grandmother. While at the time she did not understand the dynamics of a prison or what it was for exactly, it is a memory that we must carry through life. (laughs) Friends, we can easily idolize those we look up to or admire. This may put us in a position to overlook the negative traits or reduction in our personal capacity that our relationship with them requires. If there is one lesson to take away from this episode... It is do not lower yourself or your potential by continuing negative or toxic relationships. Never allow another to piss all over you, figuratively or literally. Don't throw firecrackers at children. This example of karma is something I take to heart in my day-to-day life. I have recognized karma, or at least situations that appear to be the result of good or bad karma, throughout my life. I can say this definitively. The better karma, the better human you are, the more likely it would appear that good things happen to and for you. And naturally, the opposite appears to be true as well. Enjoy your life. As a wise man once said, we do not get out of this experience of life alive. One of my personal favorite quotes on this topic is Marcus Aurelius's quote, Think of yourself as dead. You have lived your life now take what's left and live it properly. What does not transmit light creates its own darkness. Unquote. This is Jake, signing off. And remember, when things are looking down, you always have the choice to stay up.